right, guys, welcome to uh, episode 12 of The Walls Within with Curtis and Dave. Thanks for joining us and sticking with us for a dozen episodes now. We're going to jump into a conversation today that's uh, kind of near and dear to Curtis and I. And if you follow Curtis's Instagram, he actually recently just posted a, uh, a thing on there about um, about your dreams and your expectations and, and kind of, you know, whether they're, they're all they're cracked up to be or whether there's kind of some letdowns in life, even after you've achieved this, this thing that's difficult being, becoming an NHL goalie. So, um, we'll, we'll jump right into the conversation there, Curtis. And, and I know I, I read that post and I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of positive feedback to it. Um, and it really, I think that, that, that art, that, that post that you put on there kind of, spurs this conversation to kind of go down a couple of different paths. Yeah. It, it was one of those things where, you know, now that we're doing the podcast, I just start thinking of things. And obviously that's kind of the, the main focus, the Instagram sharing a bunch of stories. Um, and, and this one just pulled me up at like three 30 in the morning. And it's one of those things where you're like, I should just get out of bed and start writing right now. And that's, that's kind of my way of, well, one remembering things is putting it down on ink. So, um, I was thinking about this and my main thing was I always wanted to be an NHL goalie. Uh, hockey was my passion. It was something that was shared with me at a young age from my parents and obviously being Canadian, that's a pretty big emphasis up there. And so I, I put all my energy and passion into that. And, you know, I was, I dreamt of being the goalie in the NHL and I was fortunate enough to get there. And then a funny thing happened when I, when I got there and it, in professional hockey as well is when you realize a dream like I had had, it's hard to really appreciate it when you make it there. And, and part of that is, is I think you become so focused on the task at hand, but when you're young, you have these youthful expectations of, of the dream. And when you actually achieve it and it doesn't meet those expectations, it almost feels like a little bit of a letdown. So I remember getting to play my first game and, and thinking it was a relief effort against san jose i believe um and i don't even really remember enjoying the moment i know the next day that i was sent back down on a, a conditioning stint so i played a game and before you know it i was sent back down to the minors the very next day at like 10 in the morning so you know looking back i i thought it was going to be cracked up to be this huge it, it's a huge accomplishment don't get me wrong but it was one of those things where i thought it was just going to be such a fulfilling moment and all I could think about was that I'm going back down to the minors. I'm not happy. I want to be back. And I, I never really could appreciate the moment. And I don't know if that's just the expectations that I placed on what the NHL was supposed to be. But I think the realization is, is that professional sports, it's just, what have you done for me now? And, yeah. you know, you, you play the game. And whether you play good or bad, the only thing that matters is the next game after that. And the, the, you don't sit there achieving these milestones and, and get to really, really appreciate them or it feels like it fills you up. I mean, it's, it's almost a bit of, it's a huge letdown in a lot of senses. And unfortunately I had built this NHL dream up to be this incredible thing. And it, it you know, now that I'm retired and I look back on it and I'm not in the day to day of yeah. that journey, Right. Yeah, it, it it is a fulfilling thing, but it at the time, I felt really let down, and I thought there was something wrong, and you know it was something that I had worked quite some time for. I, let's just say I'm in hockey at five six. I played in the NHL when I was 
24, 25. So, you know, that that's a number of years that I work towards a goal. And then all of a sudden it doesn't meet the expectations of my seven, eight year old dream. And I'm kind of left here scratching my head. And I don't know if that's the case with you as well in terms of becoming a pilot for the U.S. Air Force. But I, 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 I don't know. It's one of those hard things to explain. And, and there are moments in the NHL career, which I alluded to in the post, and we'll get to here shortly. But I just I'd love to hear your take on it, too, and, and kind of what your expectations were of becoming the pilot, achieving that dream and then living out the day to day like you are right now. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's so much to, to, to talk about with even your, your brief introduction there of what, of what you mentioned. And I think it centers on this idea that you and I happened to be in a very small percentage of, uh, you know, of, you know, if you look at, there's a bunch of different studies online, anywhere between only about 10 to 20% of people get to get to fulfill the job or aspiration or the, you know, we say dream, we use those all kind of interchangeably that they, that they had as a kid. And so I can remember, well, I'll put it this way. I cannot remember a time where I didn't have the aspiration to become a fighter pilot. And I think similar to you, I don't think you can think far enough back to a time, you know, like preschool where you didn't want to be an NHL goalie. And so you and I have that luxury to be able to look at this from the lens of achieving a childhood dream and being feeling really self-actualized, taking the good and the bad of those experiences and going, look, overall, it was a good experience. Let's debrief our careers. My experience to, to, to achieve what I've achieved was a great experience. Yes, with, with, the, with, the, with the good and the bad of that. Same, same for you. But I think one of the difficulties that you and I have when we talk about this, and we talked about it a little bit the other night too, is trying to get in touch with that kid in us and the expectations that we had of these very adult ideas and these very adult careers, you know, yours and mine, and trying to reconcile what a kid thinks about those things and the expectations that they set. And so for me, my experience is, is similar. I had this overwhelming desire and passion due to, due to just being this dreamer and looking up at the sky and, and saying, I want to do that. I want to go fast. I want to soar in the clouds. I want to see what it looks like to, to look at, at, at the mountains from above and things like that. And so um, I set out on this path to try to achieve this idea of becoming a fighter pilot. And so I, um, I will tell you that my expectations were, were kid expectations. They were, they were fun things. They were things that were easy they were things that were that were exciting and and all those things that that kids you know get a kick out of you know Christmas morning when they come down and see a tree loaded with presents you know and so that doesn't really mesh well with adult life right because it doesn't talk about how are you going to pay the bills it doesn't talk about starting a family it doesn't talk about the sacrifices it doesn't it doesn't mention or speak to well what happens when you know, pathway A closes and you've got to go down pathway B to, to achieve, you know, you think it's just going to be this one stop, one path and, and off you go. For you, I would imagine your dreams of playing in the NHL were you're going to win a Stanley Cup every year and you're going to be the starter and play every game. And, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. And, and, and similar for me, I thought that I was going to get exactly the airplane that I wanted 
it was going to happen on this timeline. You know, and as I got older and started to think about this path that I set out in front of me, I realized there's lots of paths to achieve this goal. Some of them are, are harder than others. Um, some of them are chosen for you and you don't get to necessarily pick because it's based on whether or not you meet all these smaller intermediate goals to that end goal. And so as a kid, you don't think about that. You just see the end and you don't set realistic expectations. And so for me, I think I went through a little bit of drama and turmoil in my life because I had sort of this childhood expectation of what it was going to be like and what the path would be like, but that I didn't set effectively set the intermediate goals and the things I needed to do to get through those before I could get to that end goal of, of strapping myself into a fighter for the first time and off I went. Right. So I don't know if any of that resonates with you, but what I'd really like to, to kind of pick your brain on and talk about is you said, <clears throat> what was it supposed to be? You said it wasn't what it was supposed to be yeah. and that maybe something was wrong. And so I think if you and I can, can try to get in touch with the expectations we had as kids and, and where those may not have morphed potentially the way they should have to become adult expectations of the career. Right. Well, I think if I look at it, I, for me, what I saw, what my image of being an NHL goalie was, was what I saw on TV or what I saw in the newspaper or whatever magazines were out at the time. Right. Like, so you see the images Guys playing in the NHL, they're they're winning games. You you have no idea what their um, their day to day looks like. And so for you and I, I think what it is is that we went from um, having the dream, point A, and we jumped right to point Z. And we we never saw those little incremental steps or those kind of ups and downs that you take, whether that be over years, days, months in order to get to point Z and, you know, I'm retired now. So the career has ended so I can look back and appreciate those moments. But my, my youthful brain just went from point A being a kid to playing in the NHL right. and getting new equipment every day and you all, know, the, living all the cool this. things. Yeah. All the cool stuff. That's exactly what yeah. it was. And, you know, I don't think you fully appreciate all the stuff. I mean, I, what kid really can't, you know, you can't conceptualize that when you're seven, eight years old and you're watching a hockey game on TV, you know, or in your case, you're sitting there at home and you see two jets just like buzz over the city or whatever. And, you know, you just see them bank off and it's the coolest thing. Or you watch a movie, right? That was worse. You know, it, you, yes, you see this, movie. Hollywood. This, this life just, yeah. you know, and you're like, wow, that's the coolest thing. These guys are like super badass and they they live this incredible life and but at the end of the day it's like now that you you and i have both gone through it and you're still actively in it you you know what that that path has been and i'm sure you can look back now and still appreciate all those hurdles and things that you had to do in order to get to where you are now and that's what i i actually appreciate that now more than anything i just and I think I, I'd agree with you is that probably from age 24, when I first broke in to about 29, I had some figuring out to do of for sure, kind of filling my cup up in essence, right? Like I was, I was trying to comprehend, like, why isn't this meeting my expectations that I had of the eight year old me? What, 
what is what is going on here? What what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And it, it was really just kind of having a little bit of self-reflection and, and looking at the whole journey and and really enjoying some of those things, even though they're not very enjoyable experiences, right? And I'm sure you've got the same story in that regard is that hey, you get punched in the face a lot and yep. you got to figure stuff out. And now my older self, having retired and, and looking back on the journey, be like, wow, that I think maybe some of the obstacles that I had to overcome are some of the things that I appreciate most about the actual career, you know, and yes, um, which is kind of bizarre thinking about it. It's like, you'd think you'd enjoy the games and stuff. And it's like, Oh no, it, when you look back now, I get to be like, well, I got sent down to quad cities, Illinois or whatever. And I, I remember living in this hotel and everybody telling us that it was like this haunted hotel. And, you know, I, I get into my room at like, one in the morning after having been sent down, spent the whole day flying and I got a game the next day and I pop in this room and there's just this light on like a spotlight on this, like super creepy photo and thinking, I'm like, Oh, maybe this place actually is haunted. And I'm, I'm by myself. My family was back in Calgary. Yeah. And so, you know, I look back now and I, and I laugh at that, that experience. But I remember in the moment that was pretty, I was miserable. I, I was probably not a very pleasant person to be around. I think I had, been injured at the time too so i wasn't even fully practicing but they were making me play games to get the the reps in and kind of keep me going so um but those experiences while miserable going through are also the things that i appreciate most about my career so it's interesting because as i look back in my career it isn't all hair on fire and and top gun music that sticks out in my mind as the most memorable things, you know, to me, the most memorable experiences throughout the, the course of my career were those intangible, weird things that I never could have imagined as a kid would be part of the experience. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that now, as I sit here and you and I talk about it, those are the things that resonate with me. I think back to some of the nonsense that, that, that my buds and I got into on deployments, you know, off base driving around in, in Korea or driving around in, in the Middle East and experiencing some of those things and, you know, the adventures and doing those things with, with my squadron mates and my, and my buds. And those, those play just as prominently as, as, you know, individual flights that I can remember. And so as I think about this and as I sit here and think about this, and there's tons of articles that we, that we found about, human psychology and, and the way kids think and the way grownups think is I think as kids, you and I were very point A to point Z similar in that regard. Like I thought like, okay, yeah, I do good at school. I do a bunch of stuff and then I get into a fighter jet. And for you, it's like, well, I do good in this game and then I keep going and I win a bunch of games and then I just keep progressing and then I wind up in the NHL, but I need new gear and equipment along the way before I can do that. Right. Like, and so you don't think about the process. And then the, there's this quote that call it, call it a bromide, a, a platitude, a trite kind of comment. You know, life is about the journey, not the destination. And I don't think kids understand that. Yeah. I don't I really know how don't, you sell that. How do you sell that to a kid? Right? Like it's like anything you don't. You know, exactly. It, it just, right. It makes no sense so, to them. <laughs> Yeah. So for me, like when I went to the Air Force Academy, I had this expectation of the Air Force Academy and I hadn't talked 
except for maybe to like one, one person, like the Academy liaison officer that I was assigned when I expressed interest as a high school kid. But my dad didn't go to the Academy. My dad was enlisted in the Navy. And so I didn't know anything really except for the experience of this one person. And if you think about it now as an adult, what kind of people are going to try to motivate high school kids to go to the Air Force Academy? What is their experience going to be that they would be motivated to do that job? I never thought about that as a kid. So here I am basing my entire view of the Academy experience on one person who's chosen to work with high school kids to get them motivated about joining the Air Force Academy. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Right. For me now as an adult, if I was dealing with, with my son, one of my sons that wanted to go to the Air Force Academy, I would try to give them access. And, and we can talk about access to information about the difference between you and you and I were kids and the kids now and, and their access to information. But I think now what I would do is I would try to provide so much of the good and the bad, the pros and the cons to my son to allow him to make a more educated decision. But what, what that's really doing is it's raining on his youth and raining on that, that dreamer, that idealistic sort of fire that kids have that we, that we as parents and, and as grownups, when we, when we're coaching kids, we don't want to snuff that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't ever want to tell a kid that's playing out on the ice where I'm coaching when he tells me he wants to play in the the NHL. I'm never as a coach going to be like to an eight year old. Nope. That's not going to happen. You better build a backup plan. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Trust me. I've talked to NHLers, Mm -hmm. but what kind of adult would I be? What kind of mentor or coach would I be? So there's this idea of, you know, allowing kids this, this ability to think, but at some point that, that dreamer or that idealistic view of something that you want to achieve, whether it's a means to an end or it is the end, You've sort of got to morph your thought. And, and at what point does that happen? You know, is it high school? I, I think overwhelmingly, yeah, it's probably high school. When, when you're faced with all the information to go, you know what? I found an article where it talks about most kids, most boys that are between the ages of 13 and 15 have this dream that they're going to become professional athletes or prominent athletes in, in some sport. By the time they're 18, that the percentages are cut to, you know, astronomically because I guess they're presented with enough information and enough reality to, to make that transition from being the dreamer where the kid that's five foot nine thinks he's going to play in the NBA to reality, which is I'm not very athletic. I'm not very good at, at basketball and I'm short, probably not going to play in the NBA. And so there's, there's this transition I think that happens to kids when they're in high school. And so going back, like, yeah, okay. I, I, my kid wants to go to the air force Academy. I wasn't provided the information that I think I needed as a, as a young adult, as a high schooler to be able to fully make the decision with all the information so that I could determine whether or not it was right for me. I had an idealistic view. My dad, having not gone to the air force Academy, couldn't provide that to me. He had a different military experience. And of course my mom didn't grow up in any military family and didn't have the perspective or anything like that. So unless I went out and sought the information and specifically asked those tough questions about, Hey, 
tell me some of the bad things that that could that I could be faced with or some of the difficulties or some of the some of the cons of going to the Air Force Academy. Maybe I would have made a different decision and chosen not to go there. I don't know. But for you, I think the goal of the NHL, I think if, you know, for me, I, I, I don't know that I would have listened to it either because I had put this idea on this pedestal, right? Yep. And so if somebody would have come to me and said, you don't want to go to the Air Force Academy. You got to wear a uniform. You, you got to sign out to leave base. Like, just go to civilian college. It's way better, way more freedom. You know, I, I don't know that I would have heard it. You know, maybe I would have shut it off. So it sounds like that resonates with you as well. Yeah, I think that's that's the big one. One, I wouldn't have heard it. Two, I wouldn't have listened to it. Three, I don't even know if I would have really understood it either. Right. You know, I, I, right. I think I would say I'm very stubborn in that regard. And I was very, uh, not naive. I don't want to say that's the right word, but just like I knew what I wanted. I knew I was going to go there. I don't know why that just was so firmly entrenched in my mind. And it just kind of seemed like it was like one little step after the next, you know, there, and there were all these setbacks that we've talked about in previous podcasts in terms of early hockey career. But, um, it seemed like it was just like a step down and then all, all of a sudden you took two steps forward. Right. And then you were right back on track or you got some fortunate break and, you know, that allowed you to get to the next step. And so it just kind of kept, slowly inching along and then all of a sudden you got there and so i i don't know if i would have ever been able to understand somebody telling me the downside that hey you're you know your daughter's going to be born and uh two weeks later you're going to be traded and (laughs) and then within 24 hours of that experience you're going to be put on waivers and claimed by ottawa and you're gonna have to move your whole family into a hotel before you live in a little hotel for three months you know, and that would have never made any sense to me because there's just still this image. And I don't think you can really appreciate it until you get in it. And then it becomes like every other hurdle that you overcame in order to get to that career point of achieving your dream and just kind of understanding that there's going to be all these little setbacks along the way. That's, that's just a part of the journey. And it's a matter of, do you want to continue to work through these setbacks, right? Like, and we can look at this from a standpoint of maybe a marriage, right? Maybe a spouse, maybe uh, parenting. You know, you, yeah. you think of what a marriage is supposed to be or what being a parent is supposed to be. And, and we could look at all the challenges. It's been 17 years of being married now for myself. And, you know, there, there's certainly been moments where it's like, holy smokes, like, you know, we're, we're at each other. And, but I think the big thing is, is that you're willing to work through those issues. You're willing and you have somebody on your side that's also willing to work through those issues. And when you have that, just like you may have had in your career, you usually end up with a positive result. And the positive result hockey wise was I got to stick around for a long time. I had this long career. So far in marriage, I'm still in it, right? Still going on that one. Haven't haven't been retired in the marriage department yet, <laughs> thankfully. Um, kids are still here. They're, you know, that's a never-ending challenge, right, in terms of figuring things out and trying to find the most successful way to raise children. And there's all sorts of information out there. But, 
you know, you're, you're constantly presented with challenges and, and new things that you never saw coming. You just envision we have kids and then all of a sudden we release them into the world and they become these successful people with no other issues. And it's like, it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it, I was 26 when our son was born. So you'd think I'd kind of understand that that's not really how it works out. Right. But once again, I think that's maybe just a human fallacy where we look at point A in the dream and we're overly optimistic about everything. And all we see is point Z or Z for those Canadians out there at the end. And you don't see all those letters in between that you have to work through. Yes, exactly. And I don't know that, I don't know that, let me, let me put it this way. So I drew on my piece of paper, I drew a straight line from A to Z. And then underneath that, I started with A and I drew this thing that looks like an EKG. And each of those peaks and troughs is another letter on the journey to, to Z. And I think if you look at, if, if I was, you know, to, 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 to look at this as a 12 or 13 year old kid, where I think I had a little bit more information than I did when I was six or seven and had, a, had probably more of a, a mature way of looking at the world. I think the way I had my path drawn out to becoming a fighter pilot was high school, Air Force Academy, pilot training, fighter pilot straight line. Like this is the way it's going to flow. I think if you had presented me, like if the adult Dave had walked up to the 13 year old Dave and said, this is going to be your path and had it drawn out. I really wonder whether or not the 13 year old Dave would have taken that and gone, wait, you're from the future. And you're telling me that this is the path that I take. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Like, this is what it's going to cost me here. And this is what the cost and price is going to be here. And this is what I'm going to go through in the dark place that I'm going to find myself in here. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Why would, why would I sign up for that? I'm going to do something else. And I think I would have scrapped it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a glutton and too stubborn and I would have just said, okay, fine. That's the path. And I would have jumped down it. But I, I don't know. Do you, do you agree with something similar? Like if somebody, if, if the, if the, the future Curtis time traveled back and talked to the, the 12 or 13 year old and you drew it up accurately and presented it on a piece of paper, what would be the reaction to that kid? There would have been some maybe serious consideration if I was able to comprehend something like that, you know, what yeah. a difficult time looks like uh, right. beyond having just a bad game. Yeah. What, what those moments that you and I both experienced. I mean, now I don't, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I, as I said, some of those setbacks were actually some of the things I appreciate most about the actual career. Yes. Same. You know, same. Um, because I feel like it, it, it got me to a point and it, it allowed me to grow in areas of my life that I maybe never expected yeah. or even knew about that I was going to experience any growth in. So the, the setbacks and the hurdles were actually what allowed me to appreciate the success moments a little bit more. And, you know, I will say there was one, one moment and I alluded to this in that, in that post that did meet those expectations. Right. And I'd love for you to share something as well. If you have something like that, <laughs> you're just like, no, this has not lived up. I really do enjoy oh, no. flying. It's, li it's lived but, up, man. Like, you know, it has. 
Yeah. So as I said, my, my moment was that Stanley cup and, you know, I'm one of the fortunate enough players to have realized that at the end of their career and be a part of something that was every bit of being the seven, eight year old kid that I expected it to be and getting to share that moment with those teammates and that organization and all those people that were involved with that and, and just seeing the general joy and, you know, I always, one of my favorite movies is the Sandlot. I always, so when I think of just kids playing youthful sports, right? Like that's, it was road hockey for us. Like we played road hockey and that was what I loved doing. And I, I loved every aspect of that. And I still play road hockey with my kid to this day. And it's, it's why I really love hockey. Um, Cause it's just the fun, relaxed side of it. And that's, I, I said, when I remember we won it and I, I looked around that room and I, you know, you see all those guys as seven, eight year old kids. Yeah. <laughs> For, you know, that was most of them weren't much older than that actually at the time, which is hilarious to think <laughs> yeah, about, but you know, um, it was really, really neat to just kind of like picture all those guys as, as little kids playing road hockey dreaming about winning a Stanley cup and a, a number of them scoring overtime goals in playoff games or scoring, you know, the game winning goal in playoff games or making a save in, in a, in a critical game. And there are so many guys from, you know, we had different countries represented there and it's just neat, right? Like we all, we all come with the same dream and, you know, that journey, like, you and I have talked about is different for each one of us, but the the reality is, is that the end goal was the Stanley cup. And you just saw these like kids holding this trophy and, and so excited and so um, joyful about the overall experience. And I've got a photo like sitting in front of me here of the second one when we won at home. And it's, it's, I don't know. That's, that's the one thing that really, really met every expectation I had as a seven, eight year old kid was, was, Winning the Stanley Cup and and seeing the joy on everyone's face and just the realization of a dream that so many of those players and coaches and management had had for so long and just looking at everyone as though they were a kid again. Yeah. So you're talking about the the 2020, you beat Dallas in Edmonton in the bubble, and it's just the team. The arena is virtually empty except for the few families that got approved to get in there. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a relatively, you know, it's a, it's a coaching staff and a team, I think with one Stanley cup ring in the room, right? Patty Maroon, right? He's the only one out of that whole group. Yeah. On the ice, Patty Maroon is the only guy who had had one prior to that. So, yeah. So, you know, you, do you think, and, and we've talked about this and I, and I, and I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway, for the people listening, do you think that that Sandlot esque sitting around the room watching that and looking at a room full of kids was, was that a unique bubble experience? Yeah. I, and this is my favorite part about it is I, I would take nothing away from winning in front of fans, family and friends. Um, But in terms of winning it and just like being back on the street, playing with your friends, there was nobody there. Right. So you were, having a good time with just that group and the bubble being the unique situation was yeah. that it was, is that it was just the team, just the coaches and just the staff that had been 
allowed in there. And that was it. And you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't right. do anything. So because we celebrated together. Yeah. We celebrated together. And, you know, that that's the best part about it is because it started out with nobody watching. You know, maybe your parents inside keeping an eye on you to make sure you weren't doing anything foolish. Yeah. But um, we started out playing just by ourselves, just friends and, and kids hanging out. And the first one was one with just the team hanging out and yeah. just spending time with that group. And then we went home and we celebrated with all the family, friends, fans. And, yeah. you know, that that's a whole nother experience that is a truly remarkable thing to appreciate as well. But I always just really, really appreciate the fact that that whole bubble experience took place and that I got to enjoy a handful of hours with just that group and, you know, really just marveling at the Stanley Cup like you got to experience when you came out here to Steamboat and you get to see that trophy up close yeah, and you, you just, you know, yeah, it's, it's like you just sit there looking at all the names that have been engraved on there over the years. And it's just such a remarkable thing that, you know, it, it, it met every expectation that I ever had of it from point A all the way to point Z and everything. It filled every cup up. So, so, so worth, worth every trial and tribulation that you went through that you didn't draw out that you couldn't have imagined as a kid. You come back full circle, you go through all that. And at, at the at virtually at, at what is one season away from the end of your career, you experience this, this child like idealistic experience where you feel like you're just back on the streets in Canada playing ball hockey with your bros and there's no distractions. There's nobody else in there. And it all looked like, you know, looking at those photos and looking at that celebration, it looked like you guys were in the trenches, like in war. You're all grown out and I mean, be, like beards. And I mean, it's, it's an experience for hockey fans. Unlike any other that we've watched to see an empty, an empty arena with a cup. And um, it, it's, it, the juxtaposition of all of it was very, very strange, but, but for you sitting in there and sitting in that experience, it's very much like, you know, when you pretend to win as a seven year old on the street, there's nobody watching. Maybe mom's peeking through the curtain to make sure you're, you're okay. Like you mentioned, but there's no fanfare. There's nobody that's there except except what you guys generated yourselves. So that's, I mean, that's incredibly cool in that perspective. I think, and I think I asked you this: was that a unique? Do you think that's unique to you and your experience? Or I think if, so. If if I asked the rest of the guys on that team, would they would they say that similarly? I think some of them would they would appreciate that whole uh, the uniqueness of it. I think at the end of the day. You know, when you when you play in front of nineteen thousand people, there's it's just a you get this rush, right? Like you know, you have, um, the photo that it's in front of me here is it's it's taken in front of the two Tampa benches, and you can just see the stands packed in yeah. every level all the way through for people that just hung around to watch the celebration. Yeah, I was there. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. These, these fans who just live and die by this team. And yep. who breathe every 82 game and hopefully 28 more yep. um, in the playoffs every year, and they they just they love every moment of it. It's like a roller coaster ride, and for them to get to experience that, it's like as a player you have to appreciate that too. Because well, one, we know how expensive season tickets are or playoff tickets can be. Yep. You're coming out and and paying a fortune to come to a sporting event, and then all of a sudden you get to watch your team win. 
And, you know, I, I, I would imagine as a fan, that is probably one of the most remarkable things and the, one of the coolest things to see take place. You know, it, you, it, you celebrate, yeah. you have the parade or the boat parade yep. that they had in Tampa. And, you know, it's just, it's one big party and afterwards. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, hockey's always got all these, these side stories and there's special meaning with that particular cup win and getting to share that with my brother, you know, when our first game together was in 1984 in the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, he and I, I was seven. And now here I was, you know, however many years later, almost 40 years later, getting to sit there with my brother and experience that, you know, our team at home, getting to watch the Stanley cup get lifted was, was really cool. And to experience that with my brother and, you know, he and I still talk about it and it's, it's kind of one of those galvanizing moments for our relationship as adults that um, started out as kids. And of course he and I have had the ups and downs of our lives. And, and we, you know, we kind of sat there at the culmination of that and got right back to the seven year old that I was and the, and the, the 12 or 13 year old that he was at the time. And so it's really cool to, to see that process. And, and, and again, yeah, every, every person that was in that, in that building has a personal story of what that cup meant to them and, and, and that. And so it's just kind of a, it takes you back to that childhood feeling of that nostalgia of thinking about and the first time you knew what the Stanley cup was. And so one of the things that I think is pretty interesting is this, this idea of playing bubble hockey, bonding with a team and free of distractions, unlike anything else you had ever experienced. And then that is the thing that takes you back to this childhood mindset of playing ball hockey, right? So what are some of the things that you were forced by the circumstances to, to bond with your team? But I know some people have seen some of the videos and some of the specials that they did, but what are some of those things that you never could have or would have drawn out that you got to experience in the bubble with your teammates that, that folks may not know or may not realize, you know, what, what are, what are some of those stories or some of those things that you guys did or kind of got into that you can share on this podcast? Yeah. I think the, the meal times were always special. Um, you know, we had a few guys that kind of took, took control of the, the meal planning, let's just say, because when you're living in a hotel for a month straight, the meals can get a little flat. Um, I will say in Toronto, it was probably a little bit, better than Edmonton no knock on Edmonton's food service but um you know just you know a guy plans a meal he kind of he crafts this whole thing and it's just I mean you could eat for days with the amount of food that they bring out yeah. uh, but it, it probably just the meal times I always yeah. liked the meal times that was probably the fun part where it's just a relaxed atmosphere you're not you're not watching video you're not prepping for the next game right. you know the meal before the night before is just kind of like a relaxed event where yeah, everybody's starting to get focused, but it's still enjoyable. And then just the hanging around. I mean, you're in a hotel. There's not really too many places to go. So what are you doing? Well, we watched a ton of hockey. There's a ton of guys that, you know, obviously there was a bunch of teams playing all at the same time at, at one arena. So it was a lot of hockey watch. There were there's the guys that like to play cards and board games. There was the guys that like to play video games. That was there. So it's like you had these little like groups, little splinter groups. Right. Um I was kind of in the high, I would sit there and watch like three, four hours of hockey a night if, if we weren't playing a game. So you just sit there. So, you know, you're stacking the whole time. I was just crushing sunflower seeds on <laughs> mouth and gums were like raw from 
beating so many of those things watching hockey, but I loved it. I, you know, that's, I, I love watching hockey still, yeah. you know, I did watching the abs win the cup. Unfortunately it was against Tampa, but, um, you know, I, I was just glued to the television and, you know, now that the guys that I played with are, some of them are on different teams. You, you try and watch games and stuff, and see how they're doing. And, yep. um, it's fun to follow along in their journey. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I really do. I got, to, I got to ride off into the sunset. Like I was the lucky one, right? Like, you know, winning a Stanley cup was a dream come true at the end of the career. I can't comprehend losing one like Tampa did last year. I, you know, my heart just broke for those guys as happy as it was for the abs and their incredible team and, and getting to see those players win in the joy that they experienced in winning that as a player having won it, I can't fathom having lost it. And you know, I guess we look no further than uh, Corey Perry as a unique example in the sense that he won Crazy. one uh, right away in his career with Anaheim yep. and has now proceeded to lose three straight cup finals. I mean, that, Ooh, three that would different be, teams. Yeah. It's, it was just unbelievable to be on the, on the losing end of that on three different teams, three straight years. It's, if I'm thinking I, I, about that, that just seems to leave like a huge hole because as I yeah. said, the cup was such a fulfilling yeah. thing and it was, it met all my expectations, but I can't imagine having won it and then trying to recapture that experience for the rest of my career. And, you know, Corey's had a brilliant career. He's been a, a tremendous player for a very long time. So he's obviously at the tail end of it now and has gotten so close and just came up short in three straight appearances which blows my mind um thankfully i was on the right side of them so i'm not too concerned about that but you know him joining the bolts now and having missed out last year was kind of tough to watch maybe you thought that would have been the year but maybe it's just one of those things where maybe Corey perry's not the guy you want on your team if you're going yeah and joking who, who never said hockey players aren't superstitious right so you know but but again yeah. i mean we, i we hope know that's it's a not team the case effort. this year no he's he's been on three phenomenal phenomenal teams so turn this around what about your personal experience like what what is your take on the moment that you know obviously if it there are certain instances that didn't live up to what your expectations of it were but what about a moment where or moments where you feel like that was everything i dreamed about when i saw those things buzz over top when i was a kid and they just you know man you yeah. Like what's, what's your take on that? Like what is a moment that you experienced where your cup was just like, yeah, I feel like the seven, eight year old kid all over again. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to relive it just about every time I fly. Okay. I would be lying if I told you that every time I jump into the jet, I want to fly that particular day. There are days and, and I have no problem saying this because everybody experiences it. Although not everybody would admit it. There are days when I've showed up to fly and I've just been like, God, I just, you know what? Today, I just don't want to fly. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't ever want to fly again. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to go completely focus and do my job that I've been trained to do. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to do that. And there are days when I've pulled myself out of flying because I knew I was either too distracted or sick or something else. But what I'm saying is there are days when I've showed up to fly where it is a job and it is hard work. You know, if you're leading a, a big sortie and there's students and, and you've got, or there's, you know, all sorts of weather issues or something like that. There are days when you're just like, oh man, today, today, this is going to be fun. And you walk in and you just, 
you try to you try to cancel out all those variables and you try to make everything work and and there you know we have a saying in the fighter world that there is no such thing as a perfect sortie you never fly a perfect sortie free of mistakes so you're always going to make mistakes some you make more than others and so you come back and you debrief those and you learn and you move on um, and you don't dwell and you don't linger. You hash it all out in the debrief. Everybody gets a gets a slice of the humble pie, and then you move on and you do it better the next time. But but I will tell you, you know, if I look at the at the difference between my academy experience, which and there were and I will be honest with you, there were great things about that about that place too. There there were for me and my personal story, there were phenomenal experiences and things that happened to me out there. They're overshadowed by the fact that I didn't graduate from there, which is incredibly frustrating still to this day. But I then look at it and go, well, I achieved this, this opportunity to not just fly briefly in the Air Force, but to fly fighters in the Air Force and to do that with some longevity, you know, to have been in a, in a pretty much in an active flying role since 2008. Um, I consider myself very lucky. And so, so many of those sorties, and, and there are some that stick out, and then there are some that all just kind of meld together. But the few in my mind, the half or dozen or the dozen or so that I can, that are right at the forefront of my mind, I think about what it felt like and, and what it felt like as an adult experiencing it. If I could communicate that excitement to the seven-year-old or the six-year-old kid that wanted to become a fighter pilot, it would be really easy Yeah, because it was those same things that I experienced or that I thought it would be like as a, as a kid of this interfacing with this complex machine, right? And being the operator of this machine that was worth millions and millions of dollars, that the hours of engineering that went into building it, and then the hours of maintenance that went into getting it to a position where it could safely fly, and then the sheer amount of cost that it took to operate it, both in fuel and maintenance man hours and and then all of the history associated with the people that had flown the jet, because keep in mind, I, you know, I started flying strike Eagles and, and these jets, many of them were built when I was a little kid. So we're talking about strike Eagles that are being built when I'm a youngster and I'm watching and I'm flying airplanes that flew in the first Gulf war. And you know, the first Gulf war, I was like 14 years old and these airplanes had been built and fielded and were operational before that. You know, so we're talking airplanes from the eighties, you know, I'm what, seven, eight years old formulating this dream to want to fly fighters. And I'm flying airplanes that were built while I was building that dream. Totally cool. Right. Cool. I think that's even cooler to be honest right? with you. It's like the exact thing that you saw flying over top. It's the exact airplane that I saw that motivated me to do it. And now I'm getting to fly it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, let's think of the individual story of every one of those tail numbers. I have flown F-15s that have upwards of 10,000 hours, 10,000 flight hours on an airplane. Then I think, well, you know, I'm going to take it back to hockey, right? I'm a gigantic hockey fan. I look at the Stanley Cup. I look at all the names. I look at all the arenas and all the places that the cup has been and all the people that have held that, held that cup over their heads. And I compare that so, so, you know, beautifully to the history of every single one of the airplanes that I've flown. And, and I think about all of that as I get into the jet and I do, and I, and I frequently do. And that's a real kind of, I guess it's an adult thing, but it's an idealistic way of looking at it. That, that's similar to the way a kid would look at it. 
And, and I, and I think to myself, you know, one, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky every time I get to go fly, I'm incredibly lucky to get to do it. But two, all of those things that I thought about as a kid, flying fast, soaring among the clouds, working this incredible pilot interface, you know, with the sensors and the displays and, and strapping yourself in. And, you know, it's one thing to get into a car and feel like you're one with your automobile because you, you, you you're used to driving it. And so you touch things and things just kind of happen automatically in your car. Cause you know where to reach, you know, exactly where the shifter is. Well, take that and add a factor of a hundred to it and think about what it's like for a pilot with, you know, a thousand or 1500 hours or 2000 hours in an airplane that I could close my eyes and I could sit there and touch every switch and know where everything was. And it was like, it was like that trusted steed that you jumped into and were training to take it to war, you know, training to take that into, into combat, into hell if you needed to daytime, nighttime in the weather, clear skies, whatever. And to think about that piece of it, every time you go and fly, um, was incredible. It still is incredible. Now I'm flying airplanes that were built less than 10 years ago while I was flying F-15s, hearing about F-35s being built. Now I'm flying those. They don't have quite as many hours, but the interface is even more cosmic. As I sit here with my two computer monitors, it looks very similar to what the cockpit of an F-35 would look like. Touch screens and, you know. You know what I like joke. about it? Like that's that? sorry. No, is the the history side of it, right? Like you, yeah. when you, when you hopped in the F fifteen and you, and you think of the people and pilots yes. that had sat in that same position yes. beforehand, and now we move to the F thirty five, the newer plane, where you're the first piece of history in that plane, and and the pilots, and it's the same with the Stanley Cup. Like I look at all the names and I think yeah. of all the individuals who have. Yeah gone through the same experience that I was fortunate enough to go through. And so the, the historical side of those planes and the, you writing the early history of the F 35 and being an early pilot in that, and then thinking of how long that plane will be in existence and the pilots that will come after you and, and write another part of that history is, I I, I love the history of things. So I think that's what I appreciate when you talk about something like that, the thinking of the, individuals that came before you and the ones that will eventually come after you. Yep. There are little kids right now. Heck my son could aspire to do this and fly an airplane that his dad is flown. Yeah. It's happened. It happened in the B 52 where it was a grandfather, a father and a son, three generations of air force pilots flew the exact same airplane. That's cool. So you think about that history. Yeah, it's, it's totally awesome. Right. And so this idea that I'm, I'm kind of getting to, to, to fly this machine that was built when I was formulating this, this passion and and it was a brand new off the, off the assembly line airplane. And I probably saw it at an air show or something like that and, or in a magazine. And then I'm getting to fly it. And similarly to the Stanley cup, you dream of touching it. You dream of lifting it over your head. You may see it at the Hockey Hall of Fame, or you may have been lucky enough to go to a game and seen it raised as a kid. And then you get to go and do it and then live that dream out. I'll be honest with you, Curtis. It doesn't matter what the path was. It's awesome. And it doesn't matter now 
because I have the luxury of sitting here as a, as a content self-actualized adult thinking back to the path that I thought of as a seven or eight year old being so vastly different from the path that I actually, if I were to map out the path that I took, it's very unconventional and it isn't pretty and it isn't what I drew up as a kid. And it may not have even been something that I would have been willing to sign up for as a kid, but I have regrets, but they don't overshadow the overwhelming pride I feel in accomplishing what I've accomplished. And I think it's probably similar yeah. to you. Um, yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And worth every minute, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the, the appreciation factor of having experienced long careers and getting to reflect on them a little bit. So one that I'm truly, truly grateful for. What I was thinking too now is because in regards to our careers and, and how, how long they usually last is moving forward. I'm retired. I no longer get to play professional hockey. You are coming up upon retirement exact date. I'm not entirely sure of that. You've, you've had this lengthy career flying these incredible machines and you will no longer be able to do that. And so how do you continue moving forward to, uh, realize a dream that you've held and experienced for so long? Like what, for me, what's, what I get to do now is obviously I play beer league hockey. So I, hockey was my thing that I did and I achieved. And that's how I fulfill myself now is that I get to experience this, not at the same level. So I don't get the challenge myself, but in that regard, I still get to experience it. And I still get to um, pursue that passion that I had and that dream that I had when I was a kid. So what, like from your standpoint, will flying still be the same experience when it's not an F 35? Of course not. (laughs) Of course it won't. No, it'll never be. Okay. And and a lot of guys, I'll tell you, a lot of guys struggle with it. A lot of guys struggle with the idea of never flying a fighter again. And there are some off-ramps that are graceful degradation sort of off-ramps where guys will go and get a job as retired dudes and, and go fly aggressors. So right here at at, uh, at the place where I'm stationed, there is a contract of, of red air. They're adversaries and we fly against them and, and because we – we supplement when we go and fly. And so there are guys that fly the F1 Mirage and they're old French jets and they, and they're fighters. Yeah, they're older, but they fly those as, as aggressors, much like in Top Gun in the first one, when they were using a fours and F fives as aggressors, it's similar. So they use these older airplanes. And so some of these old guys, they're retired fighter pilots and they go and still fly fighters. Many of them are for all the way up until the FAA tells you that you can no longer get a medical. So some of these guys okay. will go into their fifties, sometimes even into their early sixties. Although that, that, that line of work is incredibly tough. And to, to have that kind of longevity is really, really difficult to do it safely and to do it at a level that, um, that, that, that our air force requires. There is the way to continue to fly high performance airplanes and do it in the environment that we know that brief and debrief, you know, in the vault, behind closed doors, talking about all the latest tactics and things like that. So um, there is that opportunity. I, I will tell you, so, you know, we talked about this journey. And I think one of the frustrations that we sometimes feel as adults is we we show up to to the goal and we go, hey, I've arrived, 
right? Like this is it. This is everything. Everything was about getting me to this point. But then you look at it and you think about it and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm not happy. And wow, I had one game up and now I'm back in the minors. But that's not, this isn't, hold on. This isn't the way it was supposed to work. And you think to yourself, you're like, wow, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not achieving what I thought I would. I've arrived and I'm not happy. Why? Well, because you realize when you get to a point that you thought was the end state as a kid, it isn't really the end state. There's another end state. Like it's, well, I made it to the NHL. Now I want to stay in the NHL. I don't want to go back down to the American League. And not only did I make it in for one season, I'm a backup. Now I want to be a starter. Now I want to have a multi-year contract. Now I want to have a better contract instead of the league minimum. And so you're kind of, and it isn't that you're not happy. It isn't that you're not proud of that accomplishment. It's that you realize that there's always another step. And in the flying world, in the fighter world, it's the same. You show up, you're a fighter, you're a fighter pilot. Well, now I'm a wingman and I don't want to be a wingman. I want to be a flight lead. The guys I respect in the community that have been doing this longer are flight leads and instructors, but I need to be a two ship flight then a four-ship flight lead, then an instructor. Now I want to be an evaluator. Then I'm going to go back to the schoolhouse and teach other people how to fly this jet. And now, now not only do I want to be an instructor, now I want to be a commander or, or a director of operations or more. I want to, you know, I want to get promoted. And, and so there's always this next step, this next challenge, this next thing that I can accomplish. You know, it isn't enough to play in the NHL. Now I want to win a Stanley Cup, right? And so for me, I've looked at this whole process of what it took to get me to the point where I'm a fighter pilot. And, and now I have made the decision to say, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm done. And not that I'm not that I, not that I don't wish that I could still fly fighters after I retired from the air force. I'd love to be able to still do that, but it's all of the other things associated with this job that I have made the decision to say, look, I need to pivot to something else. And when I do that with intention and I do that by looking at my family and I do that by thinking about all of the things that I want for them and their goals and their path, I now, and I don't do this in a negative way, but I kind of live vicariously now through the path of my boys. And Katie and I agree on this. We think now, now it's about getting them on their journey and on their path. And so it's a natural progression for me to retire and stop flying fighters and having done it having achieved just about everything I want to achieve in a fighter jet, I'm, I'm okay with the idea of stepping out of the cockpit for a last time come this coming summer, July ish timeframe will be my air force Finney flight and, and never doing it again. But the cool part is, is that I'm, I'm incredibly excited about the future opportunity to, to have applications into major airlines to potentially fly for a major airline. And get to take that that experience and that airmanship, we call it, and then apply it to a job that's going to compensate me very well to provide for my family and allow them to go on their journey, right? And do it in a way that allows me to take the training, the precision, the, the attention to detail, and make sure that families can make it from Los Angeles to Chicago safely, right? And do that with a tremendous sense of pride because anybody that's paid taxes has paid for every hour of my flying experience. And now I'm going to get to take those people and fly them on vacation, fly them to work trips, 
fly them all over the country or the world and do it with the precision safety and capabilities that I learned as a, as a fighter pilot in the air force. So it gives me a, a tremendous amount of pride to get to do that. And to think about that as a career. Oh, by the way, positively providing for my family and giving them all the opportunities that I think they deserve or that I want them to have, you know? So yeah, I don't unique. look at it as a, yeah, I, I don't look at it as a, as a, it's a natural progression to me. And, and, it's easy for me to say because I'm still flying and, and maybe that last sortie, it'll hit home for me and, it'll, and, and I'll really kind of miss it. And I know I will because I've watched guys go before me that hang it up and it's, it's, it's missed, but yeah. it's also the right, the right time, you know? And I, you know, we're just so similar in, in that regard is that we both, there's, there's a time frame on that career right. and you can choose to do one yeah. of two things. You can, um, for me, it probably would have been stay in or move to coaching in a professional capacity and stay on where the the lifestyle would have been a very similar experience uh, for you it's you can continue to fly jets in some capacity and and push that element or you can like you said pivot move on to a new life and i'm the same way it's I'm, i'm pouring the energy into the kids and they're they're here they're home for a handful more years and i'm i'm all in on that and you know, I get to experience hockey still. I get to play it still. And for that, I'm grateful for it. It's clearly not, obviously not at the level. The Steamboat A-League is decent, but not, not anywhere near the NHL level. But I'm, I'm more than satisfied doing that. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I get to be present with the kids while they're still in the house and that I'm not coaching and working a ridiculous amount of hours, continuing to push the envelope in terms of, performing at the highest level you know i i do not miss that side of it i i don't miss the those crazy swings and hurdles that come with performing at an incredibly high level i i enjoy this a little bit more relaxed state i get to pursue other endeavors that i wasn't really aware of while i was playing but that i'm thoroughly enjoying now like i do coach on a a much more relaxed schedule and that that really fills me up but just being present with the family and that's where you and i we both have a couple kids so for us that's that's a passion and something that we care deeply about and that we want to pursue so we had that natural transition where it's like no i don't i don't need the the high performing professional job anymore to really fill me up i got to experience that it's time to move on and let's go do something else that's not to say that we aren't interested in doing it still but uh, I th- think you and I are both very similar in that regard that, yeah, let's, let's go on to the next challenge. Let's, as we always say, let, let the kids play. Exactly. And, and, and for me, it's, it's really nice to be able to, to bow out on my terms mm-hmm. and make and have control of that situation. And I think, I think about people in my line of work and professional athletes that have career ending injuries that don't get to leave on their terms and it's decided for them and they're forced into backup plans. And, and, you know, I think mature, well-adjusted adults sort of see the expiration date coming in, in certain careers where decisions are going to be made outside of your control and to be able to make those decisions, you know, and, and, and to influence your next, your pivot or influence your next path is, is a power situation. It's a control situation 
things, people like us, we want to control everything. I don't imagine an initial goalie is any different than a fighter pilot. I want to be in control and I'm a miserable passenger in the back of an airplane. <laughs> right. And so I think having that control and, and being able to leave on my terms is important to me. And it gives me, gives me that the option to do that. And, and I've been lucky to have the option to do that. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's bittersweet to think about. And I think about the kid that wanted to become a fighter pilot. And, and I, you know, all I could think about from the time I was six, I'm 45 now. So for almost 40 years, all I could think about was flying fighters. And, and here I am, you know, counting down the days until I don't do it anymore. And it's weird. Frankly, it's weird, but right now I feel like I'm well adjusted, you know, in a couple of months, maybe I'm going to kind of fall off the deep end and lose it and not want to retire and get all this, you know, stage fright and stuff. But I don't hey, know. I went through that. And we talked about that, I think, in maybe episode one. Yeah. Right? Like, I was physically yeah. kind of checked out of playing. Um, mentally, I was just trying to persuade myself to go in there and grab a bit more money. And ultimately, as I said, the decision was made for me. Right. That, hey, it's you're no longer serviceable. Right. You got to move on. And But I fought that until it happened. And then I just, I moved on very quickly and just yeah. said, okay, now it's, now it's all in. And I had kind of had my plan laid out of what I wanted to do. And so it's, it's been very fulfilling and I'm actually, if anything, probably more excited about creating new, new um, opportunities than really yeah. dragging out the career for one more year. I right. probably would not have been in a good headspace had I played for one more season. I, yeah. And that's, the excitement that I feel now as an adult with all of the lessons that I've learned and all the things that I've learned throughout my, my whole life, I now am back in the position that I was as like a six or seven year old where I get to be a dreamer again. Yeah. Right? Phase like chapter two, right? Yeah. I get to, you know, cause again, like my 40 years worth of time spent on this goal. Yeah. I've had other goals mixed in and stuff like that, but, but now I get to think, well, what, what's next? And it's, and it's frankly, it's really cool, you know? And, and so I, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, um, and yeah. And so I, 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 you know, I think back to the way my parents handled my, my ability to dream and never once did my mom and dad say that dream to become a fighter pilot, you know, how hard that is, you know, how much work that's going to take why don't you just go get a job as a manager at that store down the street? Or why didn't you just do what your dad did and you can get a job at this oil company or you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know for me. So, so thankful and blessed to have the parents that supported that, that dreamer in me. And, and I think you, you could say the same. Yeah. And, it was uh, just opportunities were presented. It didn't yeah. matter what the circumstances were. And, right. and I think we're, we're both blessed in that capacity that we were, we were given opportunities to pursue something and to ultimately achieve a dream that you and I both had. So yeah, yeah I'm forever grateful to, obviously to my parents and, and the situations that they put me in and allowed me to experience. Yeah. So wrapping this up, I talked a lot about dreams, talked a lot about, you know, getting in touch with the kid and us as we're, as we're kind of pursuing our path and building our path. This episode ties, I think really nicely with episode 10, where we talk about defining your why. 
um, we're kind of touching on, uh, on that same stuff. So we've shared some, some personal insight, realize every, every person's a little bit differently. And, and Curtis and I recognize the fact that we're sitting here talking to you, having achieved, you know, what a small percentage of people get to do, which is live out their childhood dream. And, and, and trust me, we consider ourselves lucky. Um, if you're in that situation where your childhood dream was, was not met and, and you're kind of doing something else, there's all sorts of talk about finding your why in, in your hobbies and in your spare time and all those things. And so, and so that's, um, that's a, it's a, it's an important option uh, as well. So Curtis, any parting shots as we, uh, as we wrap this one up? No, I think that that does it for me. I mean, you know, it's just a kind of really cool experience to be able to think about a dream that you had when you were a little kid for you and I both yeah. being able to accomplish that. Um, and, and having supportive parents that, really encouraged and never really questioned what you wanted to do. And that's the best part about being a kid is that you're supposed to dream big and you're supposed to work towards something and create a passion for yourself and have a purpose. And there's a lot of times that it doesn't always go according to plan, but there's always the capability to pivot and kind of move into another area that may allow you to achieve the same dream, even if it looks slightly different than what you envisioned when you were seven or eight years old. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks guys for joining us on the walls within. We'll talk to you next time. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate. It is intended for private non-commercial use and the views presented by your hosts or guests do not reflect on any agency 